Hey, did you know this podcast has a Patreon? At patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me. Uh, patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries. Get out there and do it. Thanks. I want to see, I'm curious whether the screening that you saw was the NC-17 version and not the R-rated version that we saw at Texas Theater. Baby, did you guys get the penis shot? No. Oh, we definitely got a penis shot. Sunday scaries. Cold and rainy here right now. Like, everything's freezing. Uh, so there's lots of, like, ice on the roads, and I feel like that's also contributing to not being able to get out. I still get emails from the Dallas Morning News, and one of them was like, Dallas is under winter weathery, and, like, tomorrow's gonna suck for Dallas. I was like... It sucks for all, like, the restaurants and stuff. Uh, everything that has a rooftop bar over on Lower Greenville right now is just shut down for the rest of the week, because it's just gonna be raining and below freezing for, like, four days. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well... Hey, welcome to Sunday Scares. It's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take the edge off by doing a deep dive into a particular film and try to find connections between that film and other movies within the genre. Uh, we are just about to kick off a brand new miniseries focusing on some of our favorite zombie movies. But before we get to that, we're here today to discuss a film directed by Brandon Cronenberg that was just released this weekend. I'm Travis, and we've got Daniel out there in sunny Los Angeles. That's right, baby. It is. It is, like, gorgeous. It was a little rainy last night, which is to say that it drizzled for maybe six or seven hours. Yeah, compared to out here right now where we're just, like, we're sitting in a frozen... I'm glad that we can do this remotely now, actually. It kind of works out because I don't want to go out and drive around on our shitty roads or anything. Yeah, you're, like, locked into the studio now, Travis. Yeah, I'm never going to leave this place. Uh, But what did we watch this week? We watched Infinity Infinity Pool. I don't understand why we're doing this. We barely know these people. It's one day. Let's mix things up a bit. You're just happy you found your fan club. I've been waiting six years for your second book. Is it coming out soon? I'm working on it. What do you do for money, then? You married rich. (laughs) I actually came here looking for inspiration. Infinity Pool. So Alexander Skarsgård plays James, a failed author who is vacationing on the fictional island of Latolka with his wife, M, when they encounter another wealthy couple who show them parts of the island forbidden to guests of the resort where they are staying. Following a fatal car accident, James and M are plunged into the bizarre underworld of the island, and James is exposed to a subculture of murderous and hedonistic tourism full of drugs and surreal horrors. So obviously this was your first time seeing it too, right? So you, your experience last week, you were texting me about this, was kind of interesting. You were in like a like a test was, audience screener. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of weird. The I guess with because they do these press screenings, um, it's not in a conventional theater. Um, yeah, partially because the studios are here, like in this city. So if you're going in for a screening, you're like going in. I went to a, like a regular looking office building. I was so confused and like <laughs> wandered around a very normal looking lobby until they were like, oh, go to this room and just kind of like knock on the door. And they let me in. And it was just like uh, maybe like a 30 seat the like mini theater. The screen mm-hmm. size is still large. But and you can see it's cool because when you're in a small room, you can see all the like different audio speakers. And there was like. 30 fucking odd like it was like insane surround and i was like i mean it it's not a full it's not like a the movie theater but it is definitely like technically exactly comparable to one so that like if you're sitting in there you do get the same 
media experience, maybe not the same crowd experience. Yeah. Um, which was, uh, I felt like I still got a good experience at this because like people were really interacting with this movie. Like the smaller crowd, there was maybe 15, 20 of us in a 30-seat theater, so it just felt like we packed the room. And right. People were kind of like audibly gasping or laughing um, or just kind of like whispering to their neighbors in the movie itself. There's a couple of moments in here in this movie specifically that, yeah, I got, got some great reactions from the crowd that we were seeing it with over at uh, Texas Theater, too. We actually had, weirdly, we had a really small crowd for, um, it was like the last screening of the weekend. We had just gotten back, I just gotten back from out of town, so like, it was the very like last one that I could go see over at Texas Theater, so it was me and Tyler and Andy uh, and some of her friends, and then... Um, just like a couple like a sprinkling of other people but it was in the downstairs theater the texas theater so it was like you know a 400 person theater that had like 15 or 20 people in it um but we were we were all there having a good time i will say it is important it's interesting that you had uh your surround sound experience because i will say this movie has some of the more specific sound design uh than some of the other movies that i've seen in the past couple of months i guess um there's some moments I mean, where like the spatial audio is like kind of important I'm curious to hear what um, it's been a week. Like I saw it uh, last Monday, so I caught it right. a, as a, at a press screening before y'all, um, and so I've actually had like a full week to stew on it um, or to like subsequently heal after watching yeah. that. <laughs> I was gonna so say, I'm what like, was yeah, your initial I'm, reaction when you were texting me? You're like, I don't know what just happened. I'm not sure if I actually experienced if that was real or not, and it was kind of a like this movie is definitely a fever dream experience. I, I'm definitely still in the freshness of that. I truly just felt hollowed out afterwards. I was like, I feel like every, <laughs> like I was both sensory deprived and like morally just like completely just distraught. I was just like, oh, I, I feel empty and like every part of my brain has been used and I need to go home and like rest. <laughs> and also just kind of like a little gross. Like I felt like after this movie, it's a very it's almost, gooey movie. It's like it's that, there's lots of fluids. But even the like the it's kind of you know when you're when you're I don't know I had this experience when I was in like my early twenties when you're hanging out with people at the bars and stuff and the bars close and then everybody goes and walks to somebody else's house around the college campus that we lived around and you'd be staying up until like four or five in the morning and there's a certain point in those nights where you cross that threshold of being like I've been up for way too long this isn't fun anymore and we're all just sort of like ghouls at this point just chain smoking cigarettes on somebody's back patio and i i almost had that same same sensation when i after watching this movie where i felt like i just participated in something very hedonistic just by watching this movie it was like by proxy the characters in this movie were going through you know some of the more extreme things that you could possibly do and they were also you know roping like there was there's a magnetic sort of black hole nature to that um but yeah this, it kind of has a I, I would call it a nihilistic ending um, yeah, yeah, yeah that does leave you feeling hollow um but before i guess we talk about any specific details yeah like our our general opinion uh my general opinion at least is that i i enjoyed this a lot uh, i do think it is a it is a sensory overload and uh has a lot of really really cool design elements to it as far as craft goes um and for some reason like the early reviews that i was reading try, sort of seemed to make it out as if it was going to be bordering on the verge of like vulgarity, um, especially with the discussions of what the rating situation was. And there was some like, I think it was like a Hollywood Reporter article that was like, this movie is shocking just for the sake of being shocking and doesn't achieve anything else. And I was like, that seems like kind of a, a 
sort of novice take on a mo- on this kind of movie because I after watching it I don't feel like it transcends any particular boundary any more than you know some of the other movies we watched recently or even some of like really popular TV like I was making yeah. a lot of jokes that this is like White Lotus's greatest nightmares like yeah like White could only dream of something like this monstrous and like fucked up like hbo would never let him do something like like this it's just like how absolutely awful and terrifying this is but the setup feels so relatively similar that you're kind of laughing like i would not compare white lotus to this movie at all like they if you like white lotus you're not in for the same ride like this is not like that but it is just like the shorthand we have for it and i i feel like if you feel that way about this movie then you have to feel the same way about white lotus is like it's very comparable as far as theme and so like it has a very well-developed theme and like thought process it just also happens to be like sticky <laughs> yeah one of the one of the main criticisms that i saw in at least two of the re- uh, reviews that i was reading about this says that it doesn't fully realize the um the, the premise or the you know that is set forth at the early part of the movie um, which is interesting. I want to get more into that here as we discuss some of the details of the movie. Because um, I think that, the, like you said, the, there's metaphorical and allegorical ideas and themes in this movie that are explored. Um, and I'm interested in the idea that supposedly this movie doesn't follow through or fully investigate those ideas. Because um, I think, I don't know, my takeaway is that it, it definitely, it, it explores some, some topics that I, I think are, are demonstrated at least well in the movie. Um, and I also like this idea. You said, you know, comparing it to White Lotus, there is there's some seems to be a subgenre now of uh, like resort horror is kind of like between Triangle of Sadness or White Lotus or Infinity Pool. I guess you could even maybe even toss the menu in there. Um, there's just a lot of like it, it. It's a little bit of like heat rich hedonism. You're like, yeah, yeah, it's not it's like a subgenre of eat the rich almost. Yeah, it's and it's in this particular environment where yeah, White Lotus seems to be doing it the most as far as long form television goes. That's the most like nuanced, I guess, portrayal of it. Triangle of Sadness was interesting. I, I've I've come a long way like on my feelings about Triangle of Sadness, and I think I don't know in rewatches and stuff. Uh, but I, I guess this falls into that category as well. But it's definitely turned the dial up to a Cronenberg eleven. Right. Um, well, and I think too that it you know there there's something about the theme itself that i don't think will ever fully be realized especially in the idea of like vacation and resorthood and they get mm-hmm. to it at the end of the movie is like they all just go home but it's yeah. like you can't ever like finish this theme because the the people that you're studying will just it's a they're so rich it's a never-ending cycle in and of itself like yeah to, by design to suggest they have that there is a there is an end to this idea is to suggest that mm-hmm. like there's an end like these people will stop paying money and stop doing these ridiculous things is like mm-hmm. I think they're so intricately woven that it's like maybe the whole thing we just we don't fully understand what will happen next because we just haven't lived it yet. It's also yeah it, the idea that the the group of characters that you have in this particular plot are going to get the opportunity to face sort of the full consequences of the trial that they're being put through whereas it's like you know they're they're in a given situation because of the setting and the plot of this movie and for them to fully like cross you know into under like developing as characters or like you know completing their hero's journey would take them being in a different movie or a subsequent story and so it's kind of like Within the movie, what we get is, I think, is an interesting exploration of ideas. 
it's a uh, it's good i like it i think my yeah my general opinion is i i did enjoy this movie i gave it what i think i gave it like a seven or something um because it's very beautifully made you know even if you don't the the flashiness of it and the you know sometimes like brightness of it i think was it was there but i don't think it was overly gratuitous i think it was about what you would expect after watching like possessor which was the 2020 movie it had a lot of those same um fever dream you know mood sequences or whatever um but it's cool. I like it. I think it's got a good nihilistic ending, and I think it's a it's a really really good opportunity for Mia Goth to flex her crazy manic muscles again. Did you love uh, the the Jamesy bit when she's outside the bus? Oh my god! I thought dude. of you the whole time. I was like, this is Mia Goth <laughs> at her finest. Seriously, and the range of the character that she portrays is fucking wild. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, that's that's the non spoilery section. I, I do want to talk about some of the exact like the particular things that happen in this. There's a lot that goes on in this movie, and it's it's interesting. Um, so, like the main, I think the main. Would you say that the theme of this movie is focusing on like there's there's a couple of things that are going on here, right? There's this sort of like colonialist tourism kind of thing of you know wealthy elite coming from you know the Western world into the fictional island that this world that this movie is set in, La Tolco, right? Where the visitors to this particular resort are isolated from the rest the actual community of the island which is supposed to be very poor and very conservative it's like they're going to you know a very remote you know sort of impoverished area um and they're they're quarantined off in this little environment uh to themselves and then they go through because of the mechanisms of the movie they have the opportunity to go out and carry out their sort of wildest most hedonistic fan you know desires uh and almost like inflicted on the uh the poor world around them right yeah definitely and it's it's fair to say too that it's not overt at the very beginning obviously the marketing makes it overt but at the very mm-hmm. beginning of the movie you're you have to kind of work your way into that setup so there's a solid like 20 30 minutes maybe of just getting to the point where you're like oh they they can kind of do whatever they want mm-hmm um, yeah, that is like the ultimate realization by the end of the movie, particularly. But then there's also within that this other like sort of theme, which is James, the Alexander Skarsgård character, going through a process of like destroying the self. There's like a weird, you know, thing of him eliminating his ego essentially by like both literally and figuratively by indulging in all these wild fantasies, which I think is is the core of what the movie is getting at. Is this sort of um, transgressive like you can you can buy because of the sci-fi nature of this like you can evolve into like a higher even more monstrous and violent like you know form of man or something Um, well and it's kind of like the classic dorian gray story is like you know with, with a human that feels like has there are no consequences there's like a certain transitional period where they like it's just all in it's like you can do yeah any drug you can do anything you want you're gonna like make your soul just a monstrous horrible depiction of like your worst possible cravings yeah because that's and that's that's the the thread that they're pulling on as the movie goes along right that's the the motivation that mia goth's character is is providing to james trying to destroy his former self and you know pull him into you know this the circle of hell with with the other you know wealthy people that have been murdering about the island and well and the larger point is there are layers to it right is like hedonism by itself just doesn't have as much like it it kind of has its own time like i think fictionally a lot of authors in this movie specifically it's like it kind of says like there's only so much raw hedonism you can invest in before like you start to plot higher levels of hedonism what do they say there's like three types of fun 
It's like just fun things that instantly like gratify you, things that are hard work but that gratify you, and then like things that you only or it's like afterwards it happens you realize it was fun or something this is like the three yeah. layers of fun for like murderous hedonists <laughs> i was gonna say yeah not even not for everybody but for yeah it's and it's that it almost reminds me of like there's um there's like a, a david cronenberg thing in here too of i feel like crimes of the future was almost like exploring this as well where it's you know crossing what 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 are the new once or like hellraiser too right it's like once you've experienced everything what is the next the next level like what is the ceiling to your your joy and ecstasy or whatever um it's it's interesting i think they yeah i think they they fully they make their way down that path too the uh the dog scene i was i was gonna put in my letterbox review the dog dies at the end um oh but it's yeah <laughs> It's dark. It's kinky. This is a kinky movie. Uh, it is so, very kinky. Let's get into this. So the, the setup, right, is James and M are both wealthy as well. So they're, they're staying at this resort uh, in Latulka. Um, we learn that James is like a failed author. He wrote a book six, six years previously, uh, but hasn't written anything since. And then we also learn that M's family, her father, owns a publishing house. So it's like through he's a nepo baby essentially you know he he married into being a nepo baby where his uh, his one book was published and re- received poorly and they've sort of come here to kind of try to he's tried he's trying to get some sort of inspiration to write something else um while they're there at the resort they meet mia goth's character uh gabby and uh alban bauer um and mia goth initially presents herself as being a fan of his uh and they invite M and james out to dinner um, we kind of learn that Mia Goth is like an actor and that he's an architect and they're also wealthy. Which I uh, love like the detail work is the very first scene is like the like Alexander Skarsgård James and his wife like debating on what to do because they've just been at a yeah. resort for so long. And she's like, oh, let's go to the Chinese place. And he makes a joke. He's like, why would you have Chinese in like an, like an island? Like they, they don't have yeah. Chinese food here. And then they like yeah. Goth invites them to dinner, and the very next scene they're eating Chinese food. He like is over the moon to meet a fan. You can kind of tell like yeah. his marriage is not safe, and he meets a woman who's attractive, who's like a fan, and immediately is like, "Yeah, let's go get Chinese food," and is like totally okay with it. So you can tell his wife is just like rolling her eyes, like a fucking course. The extra layer of uh sort of you know silly cultural colonialism that's like going on too like as soon as they cut to that dinner it's the like the i don't know i guess he's white coated or whatever but he's the server like the maitre d from from an earlier scene and then he's wearing like oriental clothing and has like a like a it's head like thing garish. on to, like yeah it's it's bordering on yellow face essentially but that's like uh, part of it's not like the director's... it's part of the joke yeah they're like yeah. part of the joke is like you know there's like different levels of oppression almost yeah because then later on they they pull the same gag when he's out there doing like the Indian like uh, Bollywood dance. Yeah, and it's, it's they're they're transplant doing this weird transplanting of like other cultures into this island nation. But so like basically they like get along really well. They have like a great double yeah. date. They're super happy. It turns out Alban's like a a really rich architect who designed some of the resorts on this island. Um, Mia Goth is like she's like. Also, She's like a Nepo baby actress who yeah. does like no <laughs> work. She does. The scene. I love it. She says she's the girl that does everything wrong, and she's like, "What do you yeah. mean?" And she's like, "I." She's like, "You have a product, like." And then she shows how she's like the person in all those montages that like spill 
like jars of liquid or like like the most easy like task things. yeah figuring out how to fail in the easy like how does she put it she says how to fail naturally like i i'm i, I specialize in failing naturally um and she yeah she tries to spread she tries to like take a roll out off the the you know bread basket and like cut it with a butter knife and it's just failing like putting it flat against it and it's it's cringy like it's it's uncomfortable to watch at first and it's sort of that's what I was interested in in the journey that that character takes because it goes from being you know she seems like this somewhat naive you know innocent if not sort of dull you know character at first and the transformation from that to essentially being like the ringleader of this violent you know hedonistic group of you know wealthy elites is she's also flirting amazing she is totally flirting and it's super obvious at the dinner table but like alban doesn't seem to care the only person who seems to think this is ridiculous is the wife is is, yeah is is, uh james's wife yeah Um, she she, and she doesn't seem to react to the flirting yeah, like I, I kept thinking that he wasn't gonna get away with that, like that the, you know she was gonna bring it up and sort of confront him about how obvious he was being with uh, Mia Goth, but that doesn't really come up before she exits the movie for the most part. Cause he, um, so they go through the dinner and then he he kind of like likes hanging out with her. Wonder why? Mm-hmm. But ultimately they're like, oh, let's do a picnic, but we'll like yeah. drive outside of the resort. And so this is like the real inciting incident is when they go. And Emily, his wife, is like, I don't want to, like, maybe we do something else. And he's like, no, 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 they're good people. Let's go, let's go picnic. And they borrow a car. They just get a guy, uh, one of the, like, people at the resort lends them his car. And then they get in the car, and all four of them go off to, like, an idyllic beach. They have, like, a little picnic basket. The women are in, like, skimpy bikinis. And they just sit and, like, pound wine and probably, like, just just demolish cheese and this is where we get like a lot of the the early signs you're like oh he's definitely trying to fuck me a goth like well we get we get a very aggressive reach around <laughs> scene that i andy put <laughs> andy was comment, commenting on it when we saw this at texas theater because she was like this is this is the second time that i've experienced a full audio visual experience of the sound of of spunk hitting the ground because uh, we also saw, I saw the Green Knight at Texas Theater too. Oh yeah, um, and I remember. But yeah, that scene is Mia Goth stoically coming and giving a reach around to to Alexander Skarsgård while he's you know taking a piss. <laughs> I love like his face drunk. though, because he's like in utter shock, but he can't. He like doesn't stop, and he's just like, no, it's like making the weirdest noises. Yeah, Alexander Skarsgård is he man. He's simultaneously chiseled out of marble but then there's some scenes he goes into the scenes where he's like moist and his hair is all slicked back i was like they made somebody one of the other friends that we were watching it with was like this movie's main mission that they that they succeeded in was making alexander skarsgård unattractive somehow um they're all take but he they're all a little like i call it sticky i'm like oh there's so many fluid there are fluid i think there's every kind of fluid in this movie (laughs) oh yeah yeah, and probably some we don't even know about yet. Some newly discovered ones, because uh, they get yeah, they get they get sticky and slimy and moist in all kinds of ways. Um, but yeah, the first of that is the yeah him jizzing on the on the rocks, and so the, the and you like design see is, uh, a penis like there's just a, a yeah. giant shot of just a dick like getting getting the old the old special. I don't know what to call this. I don't have a euphemism yeah. for it. An aggressive reach around. It's, yeah. I mean, 
So that's, that's what it is. I don't... There's like that's I think that's part of it is like that's the first real sin is like yeah he he kind of has a chance like he could stop this like he really could try and like cut this short but he doesn't and he fully understands like he kind of understands what's happening and that's like yeah. once you take a bite out of the apple he's gonna want to eat the rest of the apple for lack of a better metaphor but the the story goes on too because they do that and then you're kind of like oh my god he's just cheated on his wife um and it's late they like it starts to become nighttime and he volunteers to drive because the others are too drunk. And so, you know, Alexander Skarsgård, who's like, his eyes are like cracked wide open. Like, he's like terrified yeah. of what just happened. He's like, I'll drive. And uh, as they're driving, the headlights start to flicker. And he's kind of like falling asleep a little bit at the wheel. And bam, out of nowhere, they hit a villager. Like, full force, knock this kid out. Like, crush the I know what you did last summer level of uh yeah vehicular manslaughter and to be fair to them their initial reaction he kind of like they they do the long pause where they're like oh fuck what do we they did the hereditary pause where they just like (laughs) stare at themselves and then he gets out and like goes to check on the guy who like dies he like watches him breathe his last breath and his instinct is like we got to call the cops like we have to call the police and mia goth and and her husband to some degree are the ones who are like don't do that. Like, get back in the car. Like, we're going home. Don't do anything. And, like, she kind of bullies them into it and, like, cajoles and, like, pleads with them until they agree. They get back in the car, drive back to the resort, and, like, or they they get out of the car, leave the car behind, right? Because no evidence. And then kind of, like, sneak, like, get back into the resort. They get past security. Um, so, like, Alexander Skarsgård's had a day. He's had, like, an aggressive yeah. reach around, and it, then he just accidentally did manslaughter. As they're walking back to the rooms and stuff, he, like, throws up, and he just, on the side of the sidewalk or whatever, and he looks so defeated when he's coming back from the inside that gate. It's one of the very, like, one of the many instances of him just looking absolutely, you know, like, crestfallen and destroyed by the experience that he just had. Exactly. Um, Yeah, so after the murder, right, he gets woken up in the morning, like, really hungover by the cops, uh, and they take him along, and this is where we learn about the, the... sci-fi element that is specific to this fictional island in the world of this right because we learn later on like as through later discussions that this whole doubling thing is is unique to the island it's attempted to be they've attempted to replicate it elsewhere but it's only worked on this particular island but essentially when the police arrest alexander skarsgård um they bring him and m down to the station uh and explain that the penalty for murdering somebody is death essentially they're, they say that they're gonna you know the the, the oldest son of the family of the man that got, that got murdered is going to come and murder him in revenge, basically in retaliation, because um, it's an honor thing. That's that's part of their cultural heritage. But as a as an out, they have the option to produce an identical duplicate, a double, to Alexander Skarsgård, who can be the stand-in for the execution and be murdered by the son rather than um, him getting murdered. With uh, like with the memories, they kind of say like you ha- it has to have your memories in order for it to be authentic too. The yeah, what we the idea that we get is that this is because there's there's other imperatives about this whole sort of ritualistic execution, which is that they have to be there to witness the execution, and that you know, like you said, the double will have all of the memories, and he specifically says a memory of the guilt. Uh, so you know, he he will understand that he's guilty of this, you know, um, of the crime that he's being punished for. Um, I like the little so this this character too. So Thomas Kretschmann that plays the detective. Oh yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, he's he's fucking awesome. He played uh, Damaskinos in Blade Two, and he was in Wanted and King Kong. Um, what a perfect he he's just this s- stoic, domineering, you know, kind of casual detective dude. And him negotiating with Alexander Skarsgård as they're sort of like he's explaining how the process works and stuff. And when Alexander Skarsgård is is failing to comprehend what's going on, he says, you know, would would you prefer to be murdered instead? You know, he gives him the option, and then also the little bit about protecting his uncle who like they do a little bit of under the table stuff. He says, well, I'm going to, I'm about to ask you a question. I'm about to ask you if the car, if you rented the car from a particular uh, man at the resort, and I need you to say no to that question after I ask you, because that man is my uncle and this would reflect badly, you know, on the, on the family. Uh, this could be trouble for us. And he says, will that improve my station at all? He says, no, but it would be very good for me. And there's just a little bit of like concession that Alexander Skarsgård is, is automatically willing to give up is well, cracking me up. And they kind of say this is important is Alexander Skarsgård did not come from money. Like he's not right. a landed gentry like the rest of the the couples like Mia Goth, uh, her husband or Emily, his wife. Like he married into to wealth. Um, and so his reaction is like very much the very early part of this film. A lot of it is like an every man's reaction. We're like, yeah, if if I did these things, I would throw up in my hotel room. Or like, if if I had this conversation, I would also probably do like a lot of what's happening right now, um, especially given the circumstances. Uh, so it's like very fascinating, and that's an important part too. Is he's not familiar with uh, like the world of like uber wealthy like hedonism. Right. He's he kind of like finds his way into it so this is a great example like this interrogation scene is he's very much like having just the full like shock and awe like if a like if if a very like white collar but not rich like upper middle class person were to get arrested by the cops one day and like accused of something horrible they would just sit there with like their eyes wide open just being like what the fuck is going on right now it is, yeah. He, I mean, there's an obviously an amount of disbelief that he has when they start suggesting that the the, the you know the, the penalty for this is execution, and you know the 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 sort of the the level of entitlement, right? Of which is kind of a running theme th- throughout this movie is the idea that like no, we're we are invincible. Like we we should we are protected from this, and there's no like they do a little joke with it later on too. But um, he's in that's where his disbelief comes from comes from initially. Is the, even even though he didn't come from wealth, it's still the the unreasonableness of it as they see it um that they would be punished in this way i do think it's interesting like like you said so the money that he spends throughout this movie also they do make a point of say of explaining that it's not you know he's not wealthy even though they are married and that like he didn't come from this but he's spending his wife's money um initially on this you know on the clone that they make of him but then also when he stays at the resort for an extra week he rents the room and you know the the uh, yeah, the room is the clerk, under his you know, wife's name, and so he rent- yeah, he like extends the credit his card stay, is under her name, but he yeah. uses her name to do it. Hey, it's Travis. Uh, just jumping in here in the middle of the episode to say thank you for listening. And if you guys like what you hear, please feel free to tag us on social media at Scary Sunday Scaries. Uh, it's one of the best things you can do for the podcast. It really helps us get more followers uh, and interact with you guys. So we hope we hear from you guys soon. Thanks. But yeah, th- so this execution scene is pretty. Well, the doubling scene, like, you, you gotta go through, oh, like, the, the process, because it's... Yeah, this... The conceit of the film revolves around doubling. It's like, they yes. are, if you pay 10, I don't know, say ten, fifteen thousand dollars 15000 you know, it's, it's they their local it currency. They as an inordinate sum. Yeah. yeah they, they say it's, it's, a, it's a hefty sum. Uh, then you can... But essentially, it's... 
you can uh you strip naked and they like measure you and it, it measure every inch of you i guess like weigh you height nonsense and then they do like the classic like when you go to the dentist and they have to like open your mouth so they get like little like things that like peel back your lips and your teeth are exposed yeah it's like a jaw extender or something and then they cover his head he has like a little like swim cap like a little like yeah swimmy. it's like a shower cap thing yeah and he and it's kind of interesting we say sci-fi but there's nothing really like futuristic it's just a, like a made-up conceit it is yeah it's interesting there are you know there's very very little in the way of production design that implies you know that sort of delivers on the sci-fi it is almost a it's a ritual experience he goes you know and even the weird head dressing that they do like you know prying his mouth open and wear making him wear the shower cat cap he goes into this room and the floor of the room is filled with what appears to be blood it's just a viscous red goo um and they have him hold his hands up like he's you know being held up and they kind of han solo him yeah the whole purpose of the headdressing thing is just to make him look weird essentially while that thing is going on but then commences you know the room starts filling with more goo like a black goo and then it commences this you know one of the couple of crazy visual fever dream sequences where we get you know flashes of of body and of, like viscera and just gl- flashing lights and nudity and the naked me um, goth like dancing in a hallway of mirrors lit by like led lights from random corners yeah and then he just wakes up in the bed uh having you know at, as if he has a hangover and m is there and says that the doubling process went perfectly the first time uh and that they're waiting for him downstairs and so this is the thing like okay we asked this question immediately after we came out of the theater because they asked the same question in the movie here, like pretty shortly. They introduced this very early on. The idea that once he's introduced to other people who have gone through the doubling experience, one of them asks him, you know, are you sure that you're the original? Um, do you know for sure? You know, how can you, have you asked yourself, is there any way to know for sure that you're the original and not the clone? Um, which is, it's it's presented pretty like flippantly because you would think that like a movie like this would hang on to that to the very end and have some kind of reveal around it. But it seems like they introduced this idea very early on and that there's an even deeper questions being asked about that. Do you think it's uh, the original Alexander Skarsgård throughout the movie or is each new successive double being carrying the plot forward after that? Um, I think, or do you think it matters? Well, I, I, largely I, I kind of agree with the argument it doesn't matter, and I can add explain why. But I think when I watched the movie, I read when I watched it, I watched it as this is the OG going through everything the first time. Um, right. But the reason I say it doesn't matter is because they kill the double. So no matter who stays or who goes, you create a perfect copy replica with all your memories up to that, like to the moment of doubling, and then uh, it's a one for it's like a replacement. Um, as much as it is like a copy paste sort of thing and so in a lot of ways the the idea that like it's just like even if you're not the original you you're still you like nothing physically anatomically has changed um 12 hours from when you did that process and so like even if you are like the copying process like the movie doesn't go out of its way to say like oh it's not a perfect process you might you know your personality might change or the only thing that changes is the experience uh, of doubling itself, but even that can be argued as like, you know, the the diminishing effects of it on this guy is just so, like, it, it's more the lack of um, consequences that cr- creates this moral slide rather than like the physical process of doubling. And that's why I think the movie's not interested in like whether or not doubling is as like what the process entails or what makes it special or how does it affect people. 
right because it's, it's trying to just use that as a concept to say like let's just remove consequences um mm-hmm. because all it does is take money to basically you can just pay off any crime that you commit if you have enough money you can have a copy of yourself killed and there's right better questions of like what would it be like to watch yourself die to watch yourself get slaughtered to to like hurt yourself um to fuck yourself like all these kinds of like what would be what would it be like if there was um like a doppelganger is what i like to call it right out there in the world that you then could like influence and participate with and less about like is this the real one or not because i think cronenberg's just like not as interested in um in that kind of that sense of identity but rather how something like that might affect your identity and sense of self yeah, I'm interested in this, though, because I think that if you if you choose the reading of this movie, that it does matter. Like, the idea that, um, for instance, like, if this is, like, a multiplicity thing where each each time that Alexander Skarsgård is being killed, it's actually the, the most recent original or whatever, right? Like, the original him dies in that first ceremony, and then the second time he dies is, you know, the first clone. And so by the fourth iteration... Um, there's something happening here where it's, you know, the idea of destroying the self, like, you know, he's, he's literally, you know, murdering his ego with each successive thing. And so what that does is like, it provides a physical, you know, parallel to what he's doing as he goes deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of hedonism. He's destroying his former, former self in order to evolve into the next, you know, version of himself. And there's something as if, like, with each new clone, there's also an element of, like, contamination or imperfection that's allowing him to become more and more unhinged or something. Right. Well, or that's, like, the—it's kind of like a—like, um, that's what we think is, like, anatomically happening, but that, like, say mm-hmm. that the process is perfect and he's just—like, every clone is killing. It's just something that he thinks makes him, like, different. Whereas, like, right. if nothing changes and every clone is murdered— it's really just his experience of seeing himself die or and this is yeah. important too. The movie makes great pains to show that he doesn't it takes a while for him to kill himself. Like kill yeah. one of his doubles. That is a very And important he goes plot back and point. forth on it. He kind of like crosses the line first, like especially when they first introduce him to it, but uh, in that scene later on, but like once he he comes back from that threshold and refuses to and then it is a transgression again when he finally does the final time so and it's sort of like it's more process of watching his self get destroyed and not not actively participating in anything other than providing the copy until the big finale and that's like because it's the big finale that is the movie's larger point is like when you are capable of destroying self you lose uh like it's like the last anchor to a lot of certain aspects and sense of being and who you how you identify as you know the original you is like when you're finally able to kill destroy a copy of yourself that's like you would strangle your own self out like that would be the ultimate like piece of all this um and then i love the movie's ending but this is like part of the larger thing is he's He's only actively letting himself get murdered, but he's forced to watch by the virtue of the law because the law would be entirely meaningless if they didn't at least have to sit and like, you know, feel some sense of punishment. And they do. So he like right. he gets doubled and then 
it, this is like one of the more heartbreaking parts of this movie too is the the actual execution yeah just to add on to your your previous point though like the the other instance of him witnessing like having to commit the act himself he's tricked into it later which i think is also important and contributes to that the idea of like the, the first instance of him committing the violence against himself is through a, a ruse that's constructed by the mia goth group and so i think that's important to also show um but we'll get to that in a second but yeah the this scene of him getting stabbed he gets john snowed uh essentially not Uh, only that they say like you know they say like the oldest son of the family has to kill you as part of our honor code and we see first we just see like alexander skarsgård literally tied to like a wooden post in a sand in like inside a hangar and they bring out like this 13 year old boy it's just like the most innocent looking (laughs) child and hand him like well for now (laughs) the biggest looking knife and he just looks so lost and confused and uh approaches skarsgård who like it and it's not just like some like oh he's asleep and they kill him. He's like he begs, he begs for his yeah, life. He he's pleads, screaming for help. He apologizes, yeah. and the kid finally takes one stab, another, and then he goes into a frenzy of stabbing because legally that's allowed. And uh, you like it, and so you watch this version of Alexander Skarsgård like brutally get murdered. It's rough. That little gown he wears is is nice too. They give him a a, a, a like a it's like a hospital gown that has an oval cut out in the middle. Uh, for his belly to be exposed to this murderous little child, um, that kid gets. So when that kid returns later on, I swear that is that is one of the creepiest little kids I have ever seen. Uh, the smile that he's able to put on is I don't know. It's it's pretty unsettling. Um, yeah, J- James witnesses his his own murder, but does so kind of robotically. M actually comments on it because she has to look away. Um, and the whole sort of what separates them at the beginning is, you know, they, they're laying in bed later after kind of like in shock. And she's, you know, not she's upset with him for being able to just sit there and, and watch his double, his clone get murdered. He like sort of uh, smiles. There's like a hint of a yeah. smile on his lips at the very end because then you he gets it. He's like, oh, if you have enough money, you can just get away with stuff. Right. There is like that creeping, just a little bit of the smirk. Yeah, I I think that's a good compliment on Skarsgård's performance too. Like he does the range of emotions that he goes through throughout this movie. Uh, those those more subtle scenes are are little gems in there too. Because I think it's also the 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 scenes and performances where he's at that level uh are also when i noticed this time like watching him in this movie how much of his dad is in there uh when he's when he kind of is whispering lines when he's delivering them very quietly i I just hear stalin like in coming out of the speakers immediately it seems like he inherited that the most from his dad as opposed to bill or um the third one yeah (laughs) and it's it's like fascinating too because they do they go home and they go back to the hotel room they spoon and then he can't sleep so he like gets up to go they're like okay oh that's what they go right back to the hotel room and emily's a very normal human she's like let's get the fuck out of here like yeah we need to leave now get on a flight pack your shit let's go and it's interesting because he's like packing he's kind of in a state of shock she's like running around the hotel room like throwing shit in bags and he's like where's my passport she's like what do you mean where's your passport he's like i always have it in this bag like where is it i can't find my passport don't say anything travis like we don't spoil this yet because that's important but he says like i can't find my passport and i as a viewer i'm watching this and i'm like he just smiled he just kind of figured it out he has his passport but he's lying like we're like oh he is a hundred percent lying to her that he can't find his passport and she's like furious 
And finally, he's like, let's just, like, calm down. Let's just sit down and we'll, like, we'll just sleep, you know, get some rest. We'll figure out what to do next. And then they snuggle. And then she's, like, in finally, like, processing what happened. And she's like, what the fuck? Why were you able to watch yourself die? Like, what's wrong with you? It, that's really so you think that's interesting because the you know in retrospect once you've seen this movie especially if you go watch it again i guess you know the question of whether when his journey starts like when he starts going down this path is it's a lot more difficult to see on a first round uh you know viewing uh because the very next you know sequence of actions like we're they set up the stakes the idea that like you know they're trapped here he's a trapped here essentially and he even proposes that she can you know leave without him if she wants to um yeah he like explicitly says like if you want to go ahead of me i'll just catch i'll find my passport and catch up right yeah so it's like from what we learn i don't know yeah it's interesting because what he the very next thing he does is he go down he goes down to the like the hotel you know front desk or whatever and extends his stay by a week um, and that's when he runs into Mia Goth again, right? Which also, there is an important sense of timing on this because he asks how long he can stay, and they tell him we shut the hotel down in one week. Like we, yeah. we have a rainy season, we shut the whole place down. So there's like a finite amount of time to do an infinite amount of sin. Which is it becomes it becomes important, right? Because this is there is a very specific you know sort of window in which he and these other members of the group that they form are are here and this is a very specific window that they're also you know participating in these experiences and everything but he extends his stay and then that's when we learn that you know it's on m's card it's on his wife's card and he's that he's paying he's not paying for anything she's paying for everything and later on i assume like the group pays you know for the rest of the stuff right um and it's an all-inclusive resort then, so he doesn't have to worry about yeah you know buying dinner. food it's all on her card whatever yeah um but he but runs, they get together so he runs into me a goth and we're coming back from reception and she kind of right. was like so you did it huh so you know <laughs> like oh she knew she knows what this is and she takes him back and introduces him to a group of people who have all uh lived through the doubling process and then we start to meet so meet your hedonists meet these like crazy yeah. satyr imp murder people yeah, they 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 don't really waste any time and sort of like kicking things off as far as what level these people are on. They they seem pretty innocuous, I guess, in his with his first drink. But like that gun comes out pretty fast. Like and they're like I think he's even walking in and he has it like on his shoulder uh, as he like the one guy puts his arm over Alexander Skarsgård uh, and hands him a whiskey and he's got like a pistol in his hand and they're just you know farting about. Uh, yeah, this group is. I don't know. They're they're fascinating. Like the the this movie has a lot of funny bits in it too for how sort of like grotesque and visceral it can be at times. Well, it's that's it's like kind of silly. The the contrast makes it funnier in a lot of There's a great yeah. uh smash cut that I like died laughing at, but there's bits of it where the the like mundanity of what's happening is you're like what the fuck these people are just sitting drinking like laughing about it and they watch themselves get slaughtered like it's like so ridiculous you can't not laugh and i will tell people who's like thinking about watching this movie it's okay to laugh it's like the menu I'm like yeah it's, it's kind of important to laugh yeah well and it, the movie is playing many of those moments for laughs like dude the, the our our theater broke out laughing uh after you know 
briefly feeling bad for him, but when they're, you know, walking him down the highway later on and she's, you know, she says, I never even read your book. And everybody like around us is like, oh, yeah, because like of all of the things he's experienced up to that moment, that was the one thing that like when she said that, you're like, no, and then she starts like reading the review to him of how bad his book is. Yeah. Um. It was, I don't know, there, yeah, there's some hilarious moments. This whole next, like, spree they go on, too. So they're, th- this isn't them roping him into the experience that they're having. Um, they kind of, they explain the whole thing that they've all been through the doubling process. Um, and then they pose that question of, you know, do you think you're the original? And it kind of introduces that idea. But it's, it, it's thrown away pretty quickly. Like, they, it seems not, it, what, it's made clear that, they're asking the question, they're proposing it, not really because it matters to them, but because they're just interested in his response to it. Um, because what they're interested in is clearly in experiencing whatever they want to and, and inflicting you know harm on those around them for their own entertainment, essentially. Um, Which they kind of the like, thing, they work him up to it too, because it's a lot of like, oh, yeah. let's just get really blackout drunk. Oh, let's just do like some drugs and like uh, like it's like hedonism by level up to the actual point of where like then some then they go do this guy they go to this guy's mansion and it just gets like out of control yeah it starts out with those little allowances like let let, you know one at a time as they're ramping up to the the extremes that they're about to commit um yeah they go to a mansion because it was like the guy was the um like the the owner of the resort that uh you know mia goth's partner was the like he he was the architect and he he initially got killed because a piece of glass for the infinity pool that he was designing fell on some workers and they died and that was his first experience getting quote-unquote executed was because the hotel owner or whatever put the blame on him and so now they want to go and uh take away the award that he just won for being like a philanthropist or something and so they go and break into his house where he's having like a whole thing with a a sex worker i guess and then like you know somebody else is there and they basically do a do a strangers they do some like a home invasion thing wearing all those masks and uh hold them up and then accidentally murder somebody in the process and then which they um, say like those masks they're wearing are like the traditional uh face masks for the local culture to celebrate the rainy season they're like right we're selling these in the gift shop but they're like disgustingly disfigured. They're like four sets of eyes, two like a random nose, or like, and it looks like the, the it's like mask, human skin that's slightly melted, sort of. It looks like so. There was one reviewer who said that it looked as if you know Leatherface's closet had been put through the microwave or something. Yeah, like oh. it's a bunch of yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of grotesque faces that are all disproportionate or have you know weird nasty features to them. One of the mouth. One of the women is wearing a face that's mouth is like full of coins. Like they all seem they're they're like the uh, the comedy and tragedy like masks almost. Um, but they basically serve to you know just make them look creepy as fuck as they're going and com- committing all these uh, murders and stuff. And this is when Mia Goth starts ex- escalating. Um, there's the scene when they're in the house and they've already broken in and everything, and she's trying to coax him basically to to murder this uh, the main guy who's there, the guy who they came for, um, by holding the gun against the back of his head. And she's trying to tempt him, basically, into committing the murder, but uh, he pulls away at the last second, and then they get in a shootout with, I guess, another guest of that house who tries to uh, fire at them, and they they end up running away, and uh, her Gabe gets uh, shot in the leg, and so they have to take him back to the house. Yeah, uh, the architect. Or Alban, Alban, yeah, he gets shot, and then they take him back to his hotel, James's hotel room, where yeah. Emily is woken up by, like, 
the the couple she already knows and like three or four strangers and james is like it's okay babe it'll be fine (laughs) can you imagine if you came back like from you were out at the resort and then you came back with a group of drunk coked out you know wealthy elites and somebody's got a bullet wound in their leg this is the point like i can see how you know as far as the pacing of this movie goes it, it does ask you to be on these highs for a while um and it becomes exhausting but i think that's the point right yeah um it's like you get to like vacationing itself like if like yeah you can just actually exhaust yourself with the amount of like drinking and eat it's like cruises like you can just it's exhausting drinking that much eating that much and like doing like mild form of like i can i'm just gonna like gamble or you know do these kinds of ridiculous things um and so yeah the movie itself bears that experience but in like in the way that true hedonism these rich people would it would just burn you inside out you just be like who has the time or money to be drunk for four days straight kind of thing yeah and it is that thing like i said even as uh like the experience of watching the movie has a lot of that too by the time they sort of get on their next so they had they had told james like you know this is why it's it's interesting and deceptive at first like the idea that he tells the group that his passport you know is being held up or he can't find it or get a new one and one of the guys in the group explains that he has a friend in immigration who can help him with that um and get his passport back and then they explain that the reason he can't get his passport is because of the detective at the you know the station but i think that happens after that's that's later on um right. because the first thing that happens is like after this this night of shenanigans right um shenanigans. the smash cut that you're yeah, talking about okay. yeah <laughs> they cut back to like immediately after they're back and like they're they're hastily you know frantically trying to bandage uh you know mia goth's husband's leg um and the smash cut is just to them all in the same white gowns in the interrogation room again i love this they're like talking it, like smash cuts and the first thing you hear is one of the women you've just met being like you know they really should put some water in this cell (laughs) it's it's so yeah they're all just like sitting crisscross applesauce like waiting and then he opens the door and they're like oh finally we've been waiting for hours um and they do a little fake out where he says you know this our our country is not a playground for you to you know run around and murder in i'm gonna make an example of you uh and they lead us on for a fair bit uh, as they take them into the execution chamber uh, yeah. instead of just the single so you wooden think pole. Like, now it's like a row of blocks. Yeah, so you start to um, think like, oh, maybe it's just like a one and done, and they didn't know that. Or like you just get one freebie, and then you actually have to right. pay for your crime. Or like the government's like, we're not fucking doing this. Right. Because uh, they, they chain them all to these wooden blocks in the middle of the execution chamber. And James manages to fight off the guards for a little while. Like, he's, he gets the knife out of the hand of one of the uh, the prison guards um, and seems to be, like, almost getting away. Uh, but they, they quickly subdue him and then slit his throat um, and then slit the throat of everybody else in sequence, essentially. But then, surprise, it cuts over and there's applause. And it's coming from the, the stands of this execution room, the bleachers, where the rest of the group is there and they're all applauding and cheering on the murder of their doppelgangers or their original selves. Uh, Even, like, famously, like, laughing that, like, James, they were like, we're so proud of you. Your, your doppelganger did the best of all of us, like, got the furthest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, so congratulations is like utterly defeating yeah so he's fully in uh for the ride now uh i forget does has m left yet 
because she flies off without him. She, but I can't remember when it. I think it's when he comes back. He kind of realizes it's she's right gone. after this. Yeah, he comes back with the second urn. Because yeah, every time they kill you, they, <laughs> they give you the ashes your, of your death. Yeah, cell. which is a really cute. Like it started out like it, the first time it happens, it starts out being like you know very macabre and like a, a very surreal gift. Like he even says the detective is like, think of it as a as a souvenir. Um, and he takes it, and it's an urn with his the ashes of his dead self in it, essentially. But by the second time, it's like he actually enjoys it, and it's also funny. Just the it's almost to, like, like a trophy on the counter. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it is. It's a trophy, essentially. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's when she she see he comes home with that, and he she can tell that he is he is on a dark path, and so she's out of there. Um, and we never see him again. No. Well, she comes back in like in spectral form uh, during one of the many fever dreams. She but... never like participates in anything he's doing for the rest of the movie. For anyone no. who was like worried about his wife, she's the voice of reason, and she promptly leaps. She's like, "No, yeah, no, 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 no." She's like, "I'm out of here." Yeah, reasonably so. Um, but when she does, that sets him free essentially, and then he he kind of starts going, leaning even more and more into the hedonistic exploits of the the rest of the group. Yeah. So then, um, like, basically, the next third of the movie is like. Uh, Mia Goth seducing Skarsgård into doing like hallucinogenic drugs. This incredible like hallucination orgy scene that I like could not stop yeah. talking and laughing about. Um, which I'm pretty sure I I saw every hole in a human body like get filled. Like I, you see a lot. It, it's yeah. like centipedal in its in its construction and, and like there's an amazing bit where like a, a penis just grows out of a vagina and not in like a yeah. it's like like a true fever dream like art house why like way there's the um the boob thing too where it's like a, <laughs> yeah. a, like some like a breast becomes like like a pussy like pimple almost and they, they somebody squeezes it and it erupts with you know body material or something that's uh, why I say this I movie don't is sticky. This movie is so It's sticky. a sticky movie. The the I got the feeling the most of being of having stayed up too late whenever it cuts to like they're at brunch again and Alexander Skarsgård is When he's like a drooling animal. Yeah, they they've been indulging in this like hallucinogenic orgy for so long over like pulling an overnighter that they're just riding the, you know, riding the dragon and going to brunch the next day and it's like there's some other hotel guest who was just sitting there trying to eat their fucking bacon and eggs and you see maraschino cherries just being like like plopping in front of them on their plate and then it, it, they they zoom out and alexander skarsgård is just topless like drooling red wine over his chest while taking maraschino cherries and spitting them at a random person who finally gets up and walks away um but it's clear that they've just been drunk for like 48 hours and are just using the stimulate simulating power of this hallucinogen to keep partying and partying forward um he is like disgusting. i think the next it's like ropes yeah. of saliva or like casually he like his eyes are unfocused he's like barely sitting he's kind of like hanging over the edge of a chair it's just like like you would not be surprised if he drowned on his own saliva in that moment yeah he's constantly leaking from many orifices uh it's a sticky the, uh, movie <laughs> it's a sticky he's a sticky boy the next big so yeah this the scene where they you know so they go they tell him that like you know the detective is the problem with his passport so they're gonna go and uh basically kidnap him from the police station and bring him back right so so they, they so play for out me, this act at this exact moment when i'm watching this movie 
at first, you know, I thought, you know, oh, he hid his passport. But then when right. they kind of like start to say like, oh, the detective's keeping your passport from being held back, I start to think like, oh, I bet Mia Goth, because you know she's the ringleader at that point. It's like, I bet right. Mia Goth took his passport in order to force him to stay. And then like, I, like, I start to be like, oh, maybe she's manipulating him into being, because he's kind of like their drooling monkey. Like he, yeah. he's the idol of their affection, but in a way that starts to feel like he's their pet. And yeah, he, and at that point, it's pretty clear, like you know, he is—he's just their recent fascination. Um, we'll see, mm-hmm. like how what that truly means in the, the the final fourth of this film. But it is like at that point, I start to think, like, oh, maybe he really did lose his passport, and Mia Goth took it, or someone in the group took it, and it's forcing him to stay. And this sets up this bit where they're like, oh, we got to go deal with the, we got to go take out the the, the detective. Yeah. And it, because that's it's reasonable, it's, and it's interesting that you think that you caught on earlier on that he was pulling something over on M initially. Because I, yeah, for me that read, I was reading this completely as as somebody stole it or hid his passport from him, um, and then they're holding that, you know, using that as the device to keep him in play. Um, yeah, they go to the station, they pull out a body from the station, and presumably it's the detective who was there getting some kind of like infusion or something. They said, uh, like he had an appointment, and so. Um, Alexander Skarsgård is outside standing watch with a gun and he like he starts playing like Travis Bickle like he does the whole like he's posing with the pistol like pretending to shoot things um, and so you can tell that he's entertaining the idea of uh, violence and stuff because up to this point he hasn't been violent he's just been sexy like he's just been you know uh, participating in these like drug fueled yeah sticky uh, but he hasn't committed the the type of violence that they're sort of trying to coax him into yet um, until this next scene when they basically have wrangled you know the prison the their their kidnapping victim from the station um, with a red bag over their head and they're in the living room of this uh, of one of their resorts and Mia and Mia, Mia Goth gives Alexander Skarsgård more of the inhalant hallucinogen root thing, and he takes you know several big huffs of it, and his eyes are just blood red. Uh, and he does this very sort of like primal, um, you know, performance and dance posturing in front of the kidnapping victim that they have on its knees uh, in front of him, uh, and then he eventually starts beating the crap out no, of he the pisses the on him person. first. Do not miss. Well, they, this. yeah, he, he beats the shit out of him, and then when it's on, once it's on the ground, they start kicking it, and then he pisses on it, and then everybody comes and pisses on it. Uh, <laughs> and it's so the whole cool. thing. So I say, like, I think every was, fluid is in this movie. Yeah, it's so crude, but it is just it's so it, it it's hilarious, and yeah, just the like the childish childishness 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 of it. Oh my god. I'm gonna cut that. Uh, it's but they they finally like yeah they pull the bag off of the head of the of the kidnapping victim and it turns out it's another double of Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, and this is in, this is why it's interesting at this point. Like he hasn't not only has he has he not committed to the act of actually committing violence, but the idea of him being fooled into doing this to himself is uh, is too much for him to handle. Uh, it seems like like this is when he starts trying to make his escape. Because um, exactly. he, he gets out of that situation pretty quickly. He panics, uh, and he goes, goes back to back his, to his room. hotel room, and then goes into the hotel bathroom. His passport was tucked away in between the piping underneath their sink. And that's when it confirmed yeah. my theory that he hid his own passport so that he could stay. Which is interesting, like because it's once that's revealed, it's this is another reason that I think I I, I enjoy the interpretation of this, the idea that 
each new clone is the one that's surviving and is also subsequently more evil and depraved than the previous iteration. Like there's something broken with each new replicant. And for that reason, they're somehow like, it's almost like when you see that, that passport there, it's like, it, re- it reveals that he was plotting way earlier on. And like the, the transition had occurred in him from the get go, as soon as he was cloned or, uh, or forced witnesses. Kind of like, makes me feel the other way is that like just uh, it's like it's like an excuse he would use to indulge in that way is like he could Mm -hmm. still be the original um and that he might just say that like oh i'm i'm the experience of like seeing my copy get murdered or or my copy itself like i'm i'm a different person because of the process which is Mm -hmm. like a lie that he uses to tell himself to indulge in this like I think that's the darker reading is like that it's not that he's like physically different because each copy each copying procedure makes him you know makes a new version of him that's a little more broken. It's just that he uses that as an excuse to indulge in behavior mm-hmm. that is extremely more and more broken. Right. I think uh so what happens to the rest of the movie essentially? So this is like, you know, the climax and the tail end as he's like, you know, trying now it's it's a it's a challenge it's a it's a game between him and the rest of the group. Um he's trying to escape the island essentially. Because, uh, yeah, once he gets his passport, you see him like he's very he looks shell-shocked as fuck, but he like tries to check out the next morning. He gets on the bus and starts to drive away. Uh but then they're they the the rest of the group comes and basically hijacks the bus that he's on, uh, the shuttle bus that he's on, um, with two other cars. Uh, and this is where we get that great Jamesy Mia Goth bit of uh, they they hold up the bus essentially with guns, and uh, Mia Goth is is threatening the driver of the bus while trying to coax James out of the back of the bus. Which like here's an interesting procedural question because like governmentally, uh, it's clear that if you kill a local, you're held responsible by the local government for manslaughter. But if you were to murder mm-hmm. a foreign uh, official from any other country, you would be held liable under the laws of that country, or would you still be held uh, responsible for murder in the same way that you would be if you murdered a local? It's like, say they kill one of the guests at the resort, would yeah. would they then be detained by you know Canadian uh, officials from the like Canadian embassy, just as a bad example, um, or would the local police hold them? and then they would get processed through Canadian laws, or would it be the same thing? as like they kill a guest, and they still get to get doubled, and they get to move on with their lives. Because I don't think that I, like world governments would allow exactly something like that. I think like this island may just not have embassies. They may not be well-known, yeah. and so that might be part he, of it. He goes into... The detective explains that, or like in the first scene that he's explaining to Alexander Skarsgård, like he references the, the specific you know treaty or whatever, the diplomatic, you know, legal legal framework that allows them to do the doubling process or something and he says it 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 is under like you know some form of fictional diplomatic law that they have for this particular island my assumption was that any kind of acts of criminal activity that they commit are prosecuted in the same way because i think when they go and murder that one guy at the hotel at the mansion earlier on i don't think that's necessarily one of the uh Right. Like locals or anything. I think it's just an act of criminal, you know, behavior that then they just all get rounded up and persecuted for. Which it is kind of um, fascinating and interesting. All of these resorts, because you hear like of other resorts on the island, but you get the idea that mm-hmm. all of them are hemmed in by barbed wire fences and like like yeah. security guards with AKs and stuff. And you start to think like, oh, well, maybe this is like an overreaction by the resort because you know an exoticization of the locals and 
some of these obscure practices, and that's, like, very early in the movie, and then you learn that, like, no, it's to keep, like, the locals safe from some of the, like, tourists. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say, is, like, all of that, all of the, uh, the guarding and all of the, you know, it's, like, designed militaristic to scare, they're trying to scare, uh, tourists from going out into the broader world, because they do not yeah. want tourists committing crimes, because if they can afford to stay at a resort, they can afford to get out of most of the crimes that they would commit. Hey, it's Travis. Uh, we hope you guys are enjoying the episode. And if you guys have any suggestions for movies that you think we should watch or comments about the episodes, please email me at scarysundayscaries at gmail.com. Uh, we love hearing back from you guys, and we look forward to it. Thanks. Yeah, because of the the nature of the, the doubling thing, which is, is unique to their island. I think that, that does also enhance... Uh, I was going to talk about this earlier, but the... The decision to make this, you know, there's a lot of benefits of having this being set in a fictional place, right? There's, on the one hand, there's the whole, like, Top Gun Maverick thing where it's like, what, what is this vague country that you're, you know, you're being the aggressor towards? Um, but, like, aside from escaping, you know, picking at any one particular actual culture or anything, it also provides this really weird uh, sort of dreamlike otherworldliness as they're driving around because all of the license plates um the signs and everything have this unique script on it that is some sort of like fever dream mashup of of arabic characters and what look like you know weird squiggles and stuff um and it sort of imbues everything with like i said this sort of uh like nightmarish sort of strange quality that kind of adds to the you know like, the, uh, the it could sense of unsettlingness this this country could this island could just as easily be like an independent um like country off you know off the off, off the balkan coast or something like it could yeah. be southeast europe um it goes it, from being like latin unclear. america to the uae to east asia like it could be any of those places except that like some of the locals look like vaguely i guess like latin american or something but it's just you know kind of they're just like oh brown people from anywhere essentially can be um the backdrop for this place um man the the scene of mia goth and the rest of the convoy driving slowly down the mountain highway with alexander skarsgård in front of them walking barefoot as mia goth is resting on the hood of like the chevrolet drinking wine and pointing a gun at him and where we get her explaining that she never read his book and that she was just acting and she had they had to do research and that they kind of lay bare the whole thing of how you know you're you're just our plaything you're a sorry miserable excuse for a human being and that's why we chose you to be our you know our toy for the week essentially uh and there's just just digging into him and letting him have they, it, like, the psychological They go torment. so far as to like read a, a horrible review of his one and only book <laughs> just to like and he that's like one of the first times he truly cries is when they, know, they finally he's... destroy his author ego <laughs> like the only thing he had for his sense of self that made him feel valuable they completely yeah. get rid of and it also is like the moment which you realize you kind of your suspicions are confirmed you're like okay they were playing him this is like planned because when the headlights start blinking at the beginning, you're like, okay, like this feels a setup. And at a certain point, they like it's it kind of is the moment where you realize that like the idea of social climbing or like that that wealth, that like nouveau riche, like meeting old money. It's very Gatsby's. Like it, it's like killing. Yeah, it's like really rich people will are different than like brand new rich people and you will try and compete with them and you will die 
or you will like yeah you just cannot they've been living that their whole lives you there's no way for you to jump on the bandwagon and like feel like you belong they're only accommodating you because they want to play with you yeah yeah exactly and it becomes comical at this point like he manages to the, the fury of having a review read for him which emphasizes his lack of talent and and uh you know pretension uh is just it's it's the last straw and it's a bridge too far and so he wrestles the gun mika drops her wine she goes oh no my wine <laughs> and leans over the hood of the cadillac or whatever and in that moment he's he's able to sort of wrestle the gun out of their hand but doesn't manage to really do anything else before he gets you know pummeled by the rest of the group and he runs off into the forest uh and that's when me and goth is just blindly shooting at him through the trees uh and he gets nicked in the leg and hobbles off uh to the you know into a clearing where he finds the home of uh of some locals who come kind of to it to his rescue dude this uh the nightmare sequence with this little kid though so he wakes up seemingly from you know passing out from a the gunshot wound and in the room that he's staying in, it's you know it appears to be like a small cottage of one of the locals, and from around the corner he sees the head pop out of the the young boy from earlier, the thirteen year old boy who murdered his him the first time, um, who walks up and at first you think like this is literal and that something terrible is going to happen because the boy has the creepiest rat like smile on his face as he reaches up and starts to strangle Bill, uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, this is actually I think that was probably the most horrifying part of the movie like the if you know as far as being played for straight horror rather than just you know shock or um, visceral grossness or whatever yeah because um, it's creepy uh, and it kind of ble- it bleeds into like another little dream sequence and then he wakes up again and it's uh, it turns out there's no one else in the house and he goes outside and he's been tracked down by the rest of the uh, group of super elite hedonists who were kind of kind of about to put on the the final show of the movie you have to think I just, uh, i'm just gonna say this is like you have to think like a group of people that have put everything in every orifice of each other are probably really really good friends at this point they're like <laughs> they have no secrets because hands have been in every hole genitals have been in every genital like i'm telling you i don't think there was a single hole in the human body that hasn't been filled they were familiar with each other. They send each other Christmas cards for oh, sure after this. That's the best part. The end of this movie is the, like, I know because it's so banal and like yeah, but they like track uh, him down and they're like you know they've got four cars lined up. There's headlights against the windmill and he walks out like deer in a headlights, and they bring out the doppelganger that he beat up previously. Um, they Smiagos says bring out the dog. Uh, and this was also because of the creepiness of the previous scene. I was ready for this to go like full monster movie. I thought there was going to be something grotesque that comes out from behind her. Um, but the lead in- into that is, you know, they they fool you because yeah, it is it is the doppelganger from earlier who is on a leash being held by Mia Goth and very yeah, very big you know kinky dom energy. Um, this was the I guess the origin of all of the marketing material that they were they were doing. But they essentially, they, they say kill the dog, like in order to, like he's trying to negotiate with them uh, and they throw him a knife and, and order him to, to basically murder the, the version of himself that is, they've, it seems like they've been torturing him as well, his, his clone and like have been feeding him so much, you know, of the hallucinogenic smoke root thing that um, it's, you know, he's been reduced to an animalistic state. Um, but Alexander Skarsgård refuses to, 
to partake at first. He I throws love this, the knife away. Because it's like the most noble thing you can do. He's like, no, I'm not going to play your game. He kind of, you kind of get the feeling like his life is on the line and he just decides like, yeah. fuck it. I'd rather die with some semblance of whatever moral compunction I have left. Of my humanity left over. Yeah, yeah, and like chucks the knife and they're like, okay, you're lost. And they let his doppelganger loose and they just get into a full on like semi-nude brawl. Like ugly, just like trying to choke each other out like each one and you're like god damn it <laughs> from a technical standpoint like this is obviously i don't know how much of this was like choreographed or whatever but they yeah the 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 magic trick of trying to film alexander skarsgård beating himself to death is uh was pretty funny because they do like it's a messy fight they're in you know they're they're tumbling over each other and holding each other down one of them's and completely the camp- naked yeah, <laughs> yeah. the the art the artful you know the journey of a uh, of of keeping Alexander Skarsgård's penis out of view you know constantly throughout this um, which, is pretty impressive. Which is too. deeply ironic considering it, it spends its first thirty minutes giving us a a single close up of one penis, not his penis, but a penis yeah. that is his character's coming, like just doing it, just getting all the way to the end. I want to see, I'm curious whether the screening that you saw was the NC-17 version and not the R-rated version that we saw at Texas Theater. Maybe. Did you guys get the penis shot? No. Oh, we definitely got a penis shot. We had. So you got to, okay. We had a solo. It wasn't like, it, it wasn't face. It was just like a dick, like a dick inside the frame and someone like jerking it until it physically came and then it cuts to spunk hitting the ground i and that was like within 30 minutes and i was like oh yeah we're in for a ride i think you saw the nc-17 version because that was the thing is like from the reviews that i read they cut out some of the sexual imagery in order to secure the r rating and i think that we saw the r rating version at texas theater last night because i didn't see any of that stuff that's what Um, it was sticky So I think if people go see this in theaters, they're going to see the R-rated version, which might they might be missing out on seeing a lot of that bonus penis material. Did you get the, um, the penis coming out of the vagina in the dream sequence? I don't think I did. I think the only thing in the dream sequences was like a bunch of boobs and stuff. And then like the, the one boob squeezing out gross oh, stuff. I, I um, saw so many genitals in my screen. I was watching it pretty closely. So I, I feel like I would have caught that there if, was, it, uh, if it came up. It was like, I'm pretty sure there was actual fucking like they, they did like some yeah. like artful renditions of like, there was like, ev- I'm not kidding. I think I saw every hole, every version of like a of a male of like a gendered male and gendered female like sex combo in a way that's like yeah both erotic and terrifying you're like oh <laughs> it's like a human being that's watched that speaks too to... much porn at some point is like i the depravity of my mind i don't like this yeah because the the review that i'm thinking of that used the term unsimulated sex uh when they were referring to some of the more like the graphic stuff that happens in this movie it was um, very that's... real that's that's I think that's what they were referring to. Which, like I said, I think that the R-rated version. So we saw the R-rated version. Yeah, there's there's it's it's that scene particularly is a little bit more softcore. Like you do see silhouettes and you see stuff, but you don't see like penetration or oh, anything. So I saw a you lot got the of full Monty. Oh, good for you. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe oh maybe God. the NC-17 cut will be out eventually for the for for the rest of the the world. But uh, yeah, we only got to see the R-rated one. Wow. Um, in which this scene ends with Alexander Skarsgård beating himself to death uh essentially he, he he blows up the skull of uh his doppelganger and smashes it to bits um there's a, a quick shot of like the eyeball popping out and stuff as he he just 
just he destroys the skull of this doppelganger. Um, and then Mia Goth comes in and is assumed fully the role of being both his tormentor and his like source of uh, uh, of comfort and consolation because she comes and like cuddles him and he like starts breastfeeding off of her tit. No, I love uh, it. She like takes a dab of his blood and like dobs, yeah. dobs her titty with it and then like gives it to him which he then suckles on you're like what is happening yeah he's been reduced to a childlike state through the act of violence and and destroying his own ego apparently um and then that's kind of it like honestly because the rest of it is is him being back in his room he's he's on the phone with m and he's you know apologizing and saying saying that he's going to be home soon and he's packing away his third urn of the uh, cremated remains of his doppelganger um and then the the sl- it's the funniness of the end of this movie is the the casual demeanor of the rest of the guests, including Mia Goth and her husband, as they get on the shuttle bus to go back to the airport, it, and everybody's having casual conversations about you know contacting their cleaners and you know house sitters and you know setting up appointments it, and decorating. It's and, like not just uh, like them acting banal it's like they're also just very unglamorous at that point like throughout the movie they're yeah like, and they're not wearing makeup or anything yeah they're or... like it's like you know what you would wear if you were to go to the airport like you don't want to look your yeah you're traveling you don't clothes wanna... mm-hmm. yeah you're traveling clothes you're like you're supremely like non-fun you're just like i'm just here to get from a to z um and they may like in the bus is like it's like a shot of the dead like they're just like sitting watching they're in the bus and you just watch him in the back row, in the center of it all, like listening and kind of like watching to these people, and just being like, "What the? F- we just murdered and like fucked and and drank for four days straight. You guys are just like acting like this never happened." It's the same thing because it's like he's asking himself the question that M asked him way early on in the movie, right? The idea of like, how can you watch that? How can you participate in this thing and then not be shook and just be continue on like a normal person? Um, and he's experiencing that in that moment as well. Because, uh, yeah, they get, they get to the airport and everybody gets on their plane and goes away. And he's left there contemplating the, the significance of what's just happened to him. Well, um, I, this may be interesting. I'll state my observations so that you may refute or uh, accept. But I, as the camera kind of like he's ready. You're like, oh, he can just sit and wait. He can get on a plane and go home. And it kind of sounds like his like soft apologies to M are like, yeah, he's going to be in hot water with his wife. but like. He's never going to tell her what happened, so she'll only assume that, like, he was just out partying for four days. So, like, his marriage may survive this. It's like, yeah, he does. He has no consequences. He could probably go home and have no consequences other than, like, straining his marriage some. And that's why I call it, like, the White Lotus effect is, like, the end of, if you've seen season two, is, like, the same concept of, like, the, you know, the people who, like, gain money, the couple, Cam uh, and Aubrey Plaza, like, they're a functional couple at the start. Um, but they have find their way through dysfunction into like the extremely dysfunctional lifestyle of their really wealthy friends. Is like sleeping yeah, they're with put their through friends. the trial, yeah, yeah, and made worse. Um, and so he's like stained his soul. But here's the important part: is he's standing in the airport, and there's just all you, the the chatter of all the people in the airport rises slowly over time, and it takes efforts to show like different tourists just waiting in line at the airport, and he's like looking at them and like clocking each one and in my mind i'm thinking like oh my god this is like the resort that lots of people go to to do these kinds of things and it could be like anybody at that resort could be equally as depraved as him 
what are these people capable of? Right. Kind of. So you think they're, yeah, because somebody said uh, that this movie has Westworld vibes for them as well. Uh, the idea of like when you allow, because there is that whole like, I think we brought this up when we, you know, talked about movies that focus on sort of lambasting, you know, the, the wealthy elite and stuff. The idea of the um, Lord of the Flies situation and like the incorrect reading of that and of movies like this one is that when you give people the chance to, or like the purge, right? When you give people the chance to, um, they will res- like revert to their most basic and like you know the lowest common common den- denominator desires and become hedonistic, violent animals. Um, but the the real message is that when you put these particular type of people in that situation and allow them to do whatever they want, they will you know fulfill their most hedonistic desires because their entire existence is founded on materialism and on you know maintaining the status quo of their position. And I think it's that status quo that is the most banal and like striking at the end of these kinds of stories where at the end of white lotus uh you know what's more important than anything else no matter what they went through is the status quo of them remaining in their positions of of privilege and and in this movie the same way where it's you know no matter what mia goth and the members of that cohort did they would still be wealthy elite people at the end of this movie uh and because their knowledge of that was the that's that's the floor on you know of of their experience and it can't be you know, crossed or whatever. Uh, similarly, like, I mean, with the menu too, it's like, it was that status quo that kept them in the situation that, that led to the demise of everybody in that movie. Cause they, they're understanding that like, no matter what happened to them, like they still belonged to, you know, this, mem- this group of elites. And so it was like that. And that ultimately was like their undoing. Um, Triangle of Sadness has that too, obviously like where they go at the end of that movie, they, they end up back in the place that they started you know or or almost um yeah no matter what journey they went on right and i think that's part of what why we uh are so fascinated by this is it's as much the the concept of climbing into that space that is dangerous mm-hmm. rather than having pre-existed in it like parasite the most famous of them all they're like the mm-hmm. most clear like eat the rich uh, and also like the largest indictment of trying to like work your way, hustle your way, uh, you know, into that stratosphere can be so soul damaging that by the end of it, you kind of like come out, you either come out like fully indoctrinated, like, you know, every human, you kind of like repeat some of the same stuff that uh, other wealthy people might repeat to themselves to kind of like, you know, inoculate themselves against criticism. But also you could go the other way and just realize like every single one of them is equally capable of some of the darkest things a human could do, no matter how well behaved they, they are. Cause that is the interesting thing about where Alexander Skarsgård comes out on, on the other side of this movie. He had a couple of different paths that he could have taken. He could have gotten on the plane and it's and like, he, this is a secret now that he keeps to himself, but everything else is fine. But the way this movie ends is, what is the reveal with the ticket thing? I forget, like, he has his plane ticket, but he's just looking at it, right? There's nothing special about the information on it because he, what he ultimately does is, like, the last scene of the movie is him on the beach. The rainy season has started at the resort, and he's sitting under, like, an umbrella and just getting drenched in, you know, torrential rain. The, uh, um, and the, the hotel is, like, closed. Like, everything is covered yeah. up. Like, no one's staying there. Yeah. But it's clear that he's just been so damaged by this experience that he's been like his his bubble's been popped. Like he he can't, you know. He at least in this moment, it seems like he was unable to reconcile the events of of what we just saw with his own existence or something. Um, and I thought that was I don't know. Yeah, the, I don't know what the meaning of that was at the end of this movie. Whether he may you know as far as like how important the whole thing about the doppelganger thing was earlier is like you know is this nihilistic ending just him coming to terms with like 
not existing or existing in this weird reduced state or something or i don't know if it's if it's any more significant than that i feel like when he when he realizes that it could be anyone that like the larger theme of like all these tourists are equally as possible mm-hmm. of doing the same kind of depraved things that i did but i just never mm-hmm. saw it um he kind of realizes just like how deeply corroded both his world perception is like now that he's seen it he can never unsee it is like he now can can assume anyone is capable of that but also that he is that just breaks his brain it's like you will never trust yeah he'll never trust anyone you know they they will they may all have some of the same like deepest horrible like ideas and that idea just breaks him so thoroughly that he has to sit in the rainy season which they say at the very beginning of the movie is a time of healing and so they're like Mm. he has to sit and be purified by the rain washing overhead yeah I can see that because then it just cuts and I love the way they do the credits of this movie is like to, to simulate the whole doppelganger thing like their Alexander Skarsgård name, Skarsgård's name pops up and there's like 15 of it. It's just wrote up and they do that for one credit at a time for each of the actors and it's it's good. I like this movie a lot. I, I like it. I think it'll be, I don't know, I, I'm interested to see if uh, uh, th- this has like a lot of rewatch value. Um, That's funny. I didn't realize I saw the NC-17 uh, version when I, I went. I think you did, yeah. Because I saw this and I was like, how who is how would this go into any theaters like everyone's gonna walk out of this be like what was happening in the dream sequences and like some of the worst yeah like more disgusting bits it had a very gaspar no like vibe to it when i watched it i was like damn like they went for it wow <laughs> yeah which I, I was even i've telling, seen like, gaspar no's films so i'm not as shocked by some of this imagery like he tr- like that guy truly is plumbing the depths of like depravity when I watch his films and I'm like, I, why do I do this to myself? But his is like a little more like this movie's a little more functional and like it has a purpose rather than like some scenes where you're just like, what the, why is this happening? Yeah. Cause I was telling Kyra about it when I got back. Cause for movies like this, like I know I'm, when we were to go see X last year is the same thing where I'm like, when we, it's like, let's, 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 I'll, I'll go as like a, like an envoy to like, you know, get, get the climate of the movie to be like, all right, is this going to be like, you know, a, a negative experience uh, to watch, you know, based on the sexual content, if there's any sexual violence, particularly, you know, like to basically come back with, uh, with content warnings if needed. Um, and I was and I, like, like yeah. I said, at the be- Mary Kate's the exact same. Yeah. Way. Like I said at the beginning, I watched this and I was like, this is nothing more extreme than, you know, like HBO. Like there's nothing like that crazy going on here. But the version I saw, like I said, the R rated version was definitely, they, they removed some of the more ex- explicit. They took uh, out all the dicks. I did see, well, I saw the one dick of the uh, mansion guy, like the little right, micro right, penis right. on the fupa. Uh, but that was the only <laughs> dick I think that was in there. And it was from, it was a wide angle. So it was, yeah, like, yeah. Or, I saw it and I was like, like Stark. no, you, Mary Kate, you would not, <laughs> she just wouldn't be interested. I was like, you're just not, this is, you don't care. You don't want to see this. This is like too shocking. You're, you're unwilling to give it the grace to read into it any more than like, this is just a fucked yeah. up film. Yeah, like, would the does the rest of the movie justify, or like, you know, if, if there is any benefit to like, you know, seeing any of this? And so, right, like, why did uh, that we is have interesting? To see that? Yeah, I wonder if the uh, the NC seventeen cut will make more rounds too, because I think that some of the early reviews I saw probably had something to do with that cut versus the R rated cut that actually ended up in theaters. Um, so I'm interested to see if that if that conversation develops at all. But I think this is a good. I think this is a good. You know second movie for brandon cronenberg as far as compared to like this and possessor i think there's a there's some interesting momentum here that is is 
moving it's not as much the body like the visceralness of like some of the imagery and stuff and the body horror is in there but it's not as much that it is as it is the um the the depths of mental torment that some of these characters go through and that like you know the question that the movie is asking is of the the, the psychological condition of, of a person and we have to concede like the technical prowess with which this film was made is like this is a beautiful movie there's there's so much happening in it that's so yeah. thematic like the opening of the film um, is just like it would be what would normally be like glorious b-roll of like a beautiful vacation resort but like the camera like pant like tilts enough degrees to like if you're watching your head you're like tilting your neck trying to like even kill it and what i realized is when they why they do that is they're like inverting the world that we see before they tell the story yeah. so it, like it starts playing and then it slowly starts like spinning different shots yeah and it like disorients your head enough so that when it lands back on you know a level plane and we open with a like a really really dark shot we're like yeah we're already like screen thrown you... off yeah and there's so many times there's like just regular dialogue scenes between two or three people but the actual film has like that does that mr robot thing where they have like the head is in the bottom third of the frame and there's just empty space above it. it they call it like uh like lots of negative space yeah the way they frame alexander skarsgård in many of his medium close-ups yeah he's just occupying like the left third of the frame and or, they, like you said, that negative space is the or they'll do the opposite where they like extreme close in as they talk but it's like the eye and a nose or like the mm. eye but like the those were yeah as the yeah, some of the conversations when he first meets Mia Goth, right? That's what I was like. Some of the some of the way that uh, they some of the ways that they frame Alexander Skarsgård, he looks like he's chiseled out of marble because in that scene before he's gone through any of the experience, oh, right? He looks hot. It's as like fuck. the close up of his jaw with just the little stubble on it, and then the close up on her lips, and then his eyes, and it perfectly puts you into the perspective of being in that moment with those two people because it's it's visualizing the experience of taking in you know somebody else's you know image essentially but yeah the uh the the like the sound effects not only the sound effects but like the music in this movie there was that constant um theme that they had going on in the background where they used like that sampled 808 kick drum thing where it sounded just like a like there was so much of that like amazing uh like 80s soundboard thing going on in the background well and there's like uh, that rising and crashing like synth waves as like the action heats up or like some of the ideas yeah happen. so it has this kind of like pardon my pun but climax and then like um fallow period of just like um a refractory period one might say of just, yeah like, the ejaculation of the music was my favorite yeah, part yeah, yeah. uh um, <laughs> but but it's fair to say too is like they that's why i say it was like overwhelming in waves is like it'll be just like a really mm -hmm. sensory like the dream sequences are like extremely stimulating there's just like and like full flashing like blinding light flashing sequences and like loud kick drums synths cl like climbing followed by a very 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 soft scene of just like them just like whispering yeah. to each other did your scene come with a content warning at the beginning for flashing lights it did not. There was actually, a little, uh, and I kind of thought that was a bad was a oversight. I was like, this probably yeah. is a bad idea not to warn, like, especially us who are just critics, like photo sensitive people. Yeah, yeah. yeah ours had a ours had a little disclaimer at the beginning for photo sensitive people who are uh, prone to epileptic shock. Oh, that would um, which I was like, yeah, that's reasonable. Epilepsy. I watched that and I was like, oh, how, I'm so glad yeah. no one had epilepsy in this crowd because we didn't know that going into it. Yeah. 
um yeah they definitely made sure to put that at the beginning of our movie which i was like i was like that's a good idea i was still like yesterday we got we had gotten back from so we drove back from new braunfels yesterday right and this whole weekend we were down there at this like cabin uh i haven't been drinking this whole month and so like my tolerance for alcohol has gone way down so i was like still pretty hungover yesterday um at seven o'clock when we saw this and i was remember like sitting through some of those sequences just like letting it wash over me like i was getting a little nauseous at some of the the dutch angles and stuff it was pretty they're they're not subtle um, no and, they, and they're definitely like the whole movie is designed to keep you on your toes it's like yeah the feeling of watching it even if nothing important or like nothing you know mind-blowing is happening you're still like uneasy and that's because of the way they yeah. frame the camera because of the way that they like you know build the entire soundscape throughout the movie is like you've just been in this massive big space you your whole brit your whole head's kind of hurting because you've been like engaged in almost every sense a movie can and then it like cuts and you're like you know you're like wily e. coyote just dangling off a cliff like what just happened like how do i get here there is one there's one particular shot that i want to make sure to point out the the they did the michael corleone kind of thing it's the one shot where they're sort of i can't remember if it's like them explaining the whole thing about the insurance guy in the mansion to alexander skarsgård or if it's after that or something but it's like him sitting like we're we're seeing him through a doorway and they're all talking at him right and then the camera like slowly zooms in but it's like a four minute long conversation or something and but the camera stays on that one shot through the doorway the entire time as you're like kind of like slowly getting closer and closer to him um but there's a lot of those scattered in here along with like like we said some of the more off kilter sort of unsettling shots there's just a lot of beautiful ones that are really striking i think that's the other thing is like for for what the content of this movie is it is also strikingly well made um in a way that didn't like really jump out to me as much when i watched like crimes of the future last year not to like i don't i think it's unfair or unnecessary i guess to like you know position brandon cronenberg stuff against his dad stuff but that was like one of the articles that i that i was just looking at as far as like box office goes that this movie's made so far it's already made um like two million dollars i think um and uh it's done it's made more money than crimes of the future made in its whole run last year uh yeah which is interesting but if i had to um, guess there's also no i wonder if there was a better marketing campaign as well for um it's also it's a weird season they're releasing like counter you know counter prestige films you just want like the yeah. grimiest grueliest thing to go against you know all the like prestigious yeah. academy award picture academy pictures and stuff like that so which is interesting because i think as far as like you know the neon productions and stuff go as far as being neon distributing this movie this year it's this is, seems to be one that's been put up at the front of uh of their lineup um yeah definitely kicking off their slate real strong this year yeah that's cool though. I liked it. Yeah, I like it a lot. Did you watch anything you would uh, recommend? Let's see. Uh, so over the weekend we were out of town. I was watching a bunch of classic movies. I watched Pretty Woman again uh, and Breakfast Club. Wow. As, like I put those on in the back. I randomly was like on this this thing of just putting on classic movies, uh, comfort movies as we were playing board games with like twelve other people. Uh, That's a good cabin, call, which is yeah. really fun. Uh, and I I kept getting distracted because I was like. John Hughes is just a great filmmaker and I love the breakfast club so much. And I started like going, just getting way too into watching Anthony Michael Hall and Emilio Estevez and Molly Ringwald in that movie. Yeah. Um, that was like a comfort thing that I did this weekend. Uh, but that was pretty much it. I haven't watched anything else that, um, Oh, I did finally watch all quiet on the Western front because I'm trying to fill in the gaps of my best picture nominees that I hadn't seen. Um, 
which was amazing. That I I'm a lot less certain on what which movie I think will get best picture this year. Um and I'm really interested in filling out. Like I still need to see Women Talking and Tar. Uh those are the gaps on my on my watch list still. Um have you seen anything lately other than Infinity Pool? Uh yeah. I mean obviously we already have a group chat going, but we're we're watching The Last oh, yeah. of Us. Um so yes. you know if you're listening and you haven't. Uh Travis, would you recommend The Last of Us? Oh yeah. If you want to do like we can just talk for like ten minutes about this episode if you want and post that as a bonus thing. Uh, please, because I it, Yeah, it I need like, to unload some thoughts. One of the greatest episodes of television I've watched in a while. Yeah, we'll do that as a bonus thing, and I'll post it here yeah. later. Uh, but other than Last of Us... Uh... Um, yeah, I, I watched this show on Netflix called Mo. Um, oh, okay. Fantastic little show about a uh, Palestinian refugee family. Um, this guy loses his job um, and goes to like hustle on the streets to help keep his family afloat. They, live, they, were, they fled Kuwait um, to live in Houston. He kind of grew up in Houston after spending eight or nine years, um, in Kuwait, but it's all about him and like his family living in Houston in Texas. Um, and him, like they're trying to get their asylum case heard. He's, you know, he, the more he hustles, the like darker people he meets. So he like meets some criminals. Um, but it's a famous comedian, Muhammad, um, whose last name escapes me currently. Um, but it is uh, just like a fantastic little slice of life show. Very funny. Um, and I love the, I actually truly, truly loved the representation of like most of Houston and the state of Texas um, because nice. this felt like the Texas like I know and love. I, I've posted like bad reviews of other movies uh, that like. Did were we talk made about by people who, this yet? We, we didn't talk about it. I was so, I was just kind of offended in a way I'd never thought I'd ever experience. It's like now that you're outside of the state, you're internalizing that like <laughs> your well your, your Texas culture a lot more. I no, because I want to honor the state in ways that I don't think even people who live in the state give it credit for. I'm like they, you know, yeah. That's what I love about Mo. What I'll say is Mo is great because it features such a diverse and broad cast. I mean, half of the half of the entire show is in is in Arabic and Spanish. Like it's there's some English, but the subtitles are are consistent throughout. There's, uh, you know, like a full Arabic family, a person who's on the autism spectrum who is Arabic. They're all of the Islamic faith. Um, and then there's like Catholic, he, you know, Mo is dating like a, a strict Catholic Latina. Um, and they, he kind of grew up in the diaspora of Houston. He's an Astros fan. There's so much about it that just feels like, yes, like that is growing up in Houston is like to be a part of like a large you know, ethnic, like a real kind of like ethnicity melting pot. And even the whiter people in this movie get like both positive and negative light. Like obviously they have like some wealthy characters that get like kind of thrown under the bus, but this very, they have like a very rural, like olive farmer who's this like kind of like rural Texan looking guy. And he's not a stereotype. Like he clearly is, you know, he's just trying to like run this farm and he's good friends with Mo. We get like, it's not about like, there's no strong message. It's just kind of like a well-rounded representation right. of the kinds of people you would meet and the exact kinds of experiences you would have. Is like Texas isn't just you know West Texas, and, and Houston yeah. isn't just like the you know like whatever like NASA or whatever bullshit people think. It really is mm -hmm. um, what it's like to grow up in the suburb in Houston is to live amongst a community of people that are both different from you, 
um, and the same as you in the ways that y'all like share so much, like mm-hmm. share so much culture um, that I think yeah, is it's like a big state. People forget that we have a giant like population here. Right. Uh, and that, and, and they're so kind to each other because of that yeah. diversity that I think is like the best of what makes like Houston, Houston and probably parts of Texas, you know, Texas. Um, and that's the things I always want people to like walk away with. I'm like, Oh, like if, if I wanted someone, if I wanted to just, like make someone like have a show they liked about Texas, I would make them watch Mo. Um, there are so few shows Thanks. I would recommend because I don't want them to walk away thinking like every. I don't want people to think all of Texas is just no country for old men. Like I just don't want that. Right. And I want people to go yeah. and be like, oh, that's right. Like it's 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 a conglomerate. It, it's like no country for old men and Mo. Um, yeah. In such stark contrast, sometimes that it hurts. But Mo is, like, the version of Texas that I love. I'm like, this is what I want people to think of when they think of Texas, um, for better or worse. And, you know, it's it's it, all these wonderful figures, like, all crashing against each other, trying to, like, help buoy each other. And, and it's like, and Houston is kind of like a refugee city in a lot of ways. It's, like, you know, such a distinct place. So I, like, truly, truly was, like, recommending it um, on this podcast for sure, just because I want people from the state to watch it. It's like 20 minute, 30 minute episodes. You'll laugh. You'll like, nice. you'll cry a little bit. They had some great writing in it. Um, it's got a finale. There, there's a season two coming. So I'm like, I'm all on board the Mo train. You said it was on Netflix? Yeah. 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 It's a Netflix original. Nice. Yeah. The other uh, movie, I, I started watching Vengeance and uh, I didn't get into it because I didn't have, have enough time. But because uh, based on your review, I was really interested to see how it contrasted that, uh, that take on, uh, on Texas culture and stuff. Uh, vengeance which is a movie set in texas but shot in new mexico feels like a movie written by someone who lives in new york writing about texas like and that's part of the joke is like the movie's about a new yorker going to texas west texas and experiencing west texas and like there's a murder mystery but not really at the heart of all this um and there's like obviously the joke is the condescension with which like they're poking fun at this like New Yorker guy who's like a podcaster who says like ridiculous things. Yeah. And it's like, does your you know water burger has self salads? You just kind of like the kind of shit that you like joke about, but it like doesn't go to the effort to show love to enough characters or like round out the inaccuracies in its portrayal that makes me just feel a little bit like this is just punching. <laughs> it just feels a little punching down in ways that I'm like, yeah, you could have like. You could have just paid me a couple hundred dollars and I would have fixed some of these scenes for you and it would feel way more authentic in a way that like right. both lampoons and honors the state. Yeah, it's like it's it's a movie like when we have so many like Richard Linklater movies, uh we don't need uh or it's it's hard to uh to watch movies like that one and uh and not not feel the sting. Well, of, especially uh, as like if you're gonna set it in Texas and like make it a point to be like this is about Texas, like get the details uh, right. It just feels like it, they overextended some things to make it feel authentic in ways that then made it feel even less authentic to me. Yeah, like the weird uncanny valley of Yeah, uh, it was just such an uncanny valley of, of Texas a, representation uh, that yeah. made me like I don't like this. Like I just the bigger yeah. problem I have is that like the way it's written, Ashton Kutcher plays this music guy and he has like these insane monologues that at first you're like, "Oh, this is really cool. This is poetry." But it keeps going. It's like it should have ended at three minutes and it goes to like minute seven of him talking. And you're like, this is nonsense. This is genuine nonsense. Everything you're saying is nonsense. And I can tell you right now, I do not care. I don't care how smart it sounds. This is nonsense. 
Yeah. It's like he needed another than, editor, and one of them should have been a Texan, yeah. and another one should have just been like, cut this shit out and like develop this more. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Yeah. So a neg, a, a warn against watching uh, Vengeance. Uh, <sighs> yeah. It's it hurt. It is what it is. But anyway, this podcast has a Patreon page. If you guys go to patreon.com slash scariesundayscaries, you can support the podcast and hang out. Uh, join in on community posts with me and all the other hosts and get early access to episodes. Um, or you can follow us on Instagram at scariesundayscaries. Uh, we post stuff on there and interact with people constantly talking about reviews of shows and movies that we're watching. Um, and if you want to follow me, I'm at Trav the Guy. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at DG underscore Pappas. Come follow this my is... uh, my new California lifestyle as I uh, yeah. indulge in these bizarre West Coast uh, rituals. Pop us in LA. Um, this is in between our third series and a mini series that we're about to start on our favorite zombie movies. Uh, so come back next week and listen to us talk about a zombie movie. It's going to be really fun. Um, and if you want, you can hang out on the Patreon or listen to us talk here about Last of Us because we've got some thoughts on the most recent episode and i got to get this uh, get this stuff off my chest. Oh, uh, yes. Have a good week, guys. Sunday Scaries.